You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. everybody and welcome back to the rocky top insider press pass i'm your host jack foster today as rick butler is out with a sickness but we are joined by ryan shumpert today who is coming off of a tennessee basketball game of course last night in knoxville didn't have to go to oxford this time ryan so you didn't have to log those miles but you've been in nashville you've been to oxford you've been going places this past week how you doing my friend i'm doing good doing well um yeah i'm glad that i was in knoxville last night but it's also kind of it's not a complete satisfaction because I know I'll be in Starkville in a few weeks. Tennessee heads <laughs> back down to Mississippi State. So I, I'm not avoiding the trip to Starkville, but uh, I'm glad it it at least wasn't this week coming off back to back weeks of Mississippi road trips. It didn't sound the most fun. Oh, no, that would have been brutal. But um, but yeah, we're back from Miami. Rick and I are back from the Orange Bowl. Rick uh, Ryan is back home, so we're all ready to attack basketball season now that football has concluded. But there's still football news going on, Ryan, and that's yeah, where we're going to get a start today is just coming you know hit after hit today with the news especially on this Wednesday January 4th and the biggest news of today is positive news for Tennessee and that tight end Jacob Warren is returning for his final year of eligibility his super senior season and you know Jacob Warren not a guy that's going to jump out at you on the stat sheet of course but he provides multiple uses for this Tennessee offense he's a fantastic blocker and he's just a really good safety blanket for the quarterback as well so how big do you think this is for Tennessee that Jacob Warren has decided to give it one more go? I think it's it, – and I don't mean to say this to diminish Jacob Warren as a player because I think he's a, a very solid tight end who would play uh, on, you know, just about any tight end room in the SEC, you know, probably not Georgia, given that they basically have an NFL tight end room. But besides that, you know, he's a guy that would play anywhere. But I, I, it's most important because of what Tennessee doesn't have, you know, behind them. And they don't have another – real tight end on the roster that has or returning tight end on the roster that's played uh, big minutes. I guess Charlie Browder uh, played a little bit. Hunter Salmon has played uh, a little bit, but it's basically been Jacob Warren and Princeton fan the last two and a half seasons for Tennessee. And with Princeton fan out of eligibility, uh, getting Jacob Warren back was huge for Tennessee's tight end depth and really just having somebody that you can count on. It's not a question mark going into the season. And Ethan Davis, four-star freshman coming in and McCastle's the, uh, transfer from uh, UC Davis. Both those guys are talented or capable, but if one of them had to be the starter and you were relying on both of them from day one, that was going to be a question mark in, in the offseason. With Jacob Warren coming back, I don't really think the tight end position is a question mark. It's an uh, interesting story to follow and see how those new guys develop, but Warren being back just really kind of shores up that room. Right, absolutely. It's it's that comfortability factor, right? You know this guy knows the offense. He's been in the system for a while, and he's – He's performed well um, when given the opportunity, of course, as co-starter with Princeton Fant, who will be leaving Tennessee. He has no more years of eligibility remaining. But you mentioned this tight end room. I feel like it has a lot of potential because McCollin Castles is a guy that can play. Coming from UC Davis, he's jumped around, but he's got good stats and he's got a good frame to back that up. And then Ethan Davis, a highly touted recruit, four-star. I know he was hurt in his senior season. Um, you know, kind of going into what you said, that uncertainty, if Warren wasn't there. But now if you look at the upside of Tennessee's tight end room, 
even with Browder and Salmon going down the depth chart five deep, I feel like this is a, a room that Tennessee fans should not be worried about at all. I completely agree, and you're right. It's it's almost becomes a, a and it's again in the segment we're talking about how important it is for Jacob Warren to come back. It I don't mean to diminish him, but again, it's almost about how quickly can those guys develop? How quickly can those guys figure out a role, find a role? And certainly Ethan Davis's ceiling seems to be really, really high. And just having the uh, the leader in that room that Warren is having, like you said, a really, a really good blocker, which I think is particularly important in this Tennessee offense. Uh, it's it's really massive. And I think that kind of lets everyone turn their gaze to the new players in that room and Tennessee trying to get those guys ready to, to help them as, as quick as they can. Moving on from Jacob Warren, we also had a couple of guys leave Tennessee um, in the past couple of days, especially today on this Wednesday. A couple of reserve offensive linemen and William Parker and R.J. Perry both were red shirt freshmen, I believe. Um, Parker played in four total games. Uh, So so these guys logged time in special teams, but they were never going to really see a path to starting time on the Tennessee offensive line, even with some departures as Darnell Wright is leaving for the NFL. You think that's fair to say, Ryan? I do. Yeah. I mean, Parker, I think is maybe a, a little unfair just because he, Perry was actually a retro sophomore. So he'd been there one oh, more year. Sophomore. Gotcha. Um, neither of those guys were going to rights role uh, next year. And Perry, I don't, I would have had a really hard time seeing him finding a path to the starting job in his career. Parker being younger, you know, I wouldn't say it would have been impossible for him to earn a big role later on down the road during his career, but I certainly don't think that was going to be 2023. Right, absolutely. And, you know, there's some guys coming in for Tennessee's offensive line class, too. Their depth should be fine, even losing right and potentially a couple others like through the transfer portal. But another player that has entered the transfer portal for Tennessee is wide receiver Walker Merrill. He had a couple of bright spots this season coming in late in games, scoring a couple of touchdowns, um, you know, when Tennessee was up on opponents big. But Walker Merrill has entered the transfer portal. Now is the third wide receiver to leave Tennessee so far, joining both Jimmy Holiday and Jimmy Callaway. And, you know, you look at Walker Merrill. This is a guy who did what he was asked, a redshirt freshman as well, 2021 recruiting class. Do you think he was going to be have any role that was going to be bigger than what he had this year? Because I look at it, Squirrel White's definitely ahead of him on depth chart. You got Brew McCoy and Ramel Keaton. It's a couple other freshmen that could take leaps. I just didn't see a, a path to significant playing time for Walker Merrill, and I feel like that's why he entered the transfer portal. Yeah, you certainly can't blame him. It felt like really even his freshman year when he redshirted, he was just kind of always right on the outside of the cuff. He was a guy in the conversation. He was going to play some and certainly played a lot more this past season, but he just never could break through into a real permanent role. And I, you know, you look at it going into the first game of the season and the depth charts that Tennessee puts out isn't everything, but it was Brew McCoy and Walker Merrill co-starters. And he ended up, you know, even falling behind Ramel Keaton. And I think that's what it kind of would have had to take this coming year for him to, to see a major role would be a receiver to get hurt and him kind of take, uh, advantage of that opportunity exactly like Ramel Keaton did this year that sets him up in, in a spot where you we think he'll be a starter starting in 2023 season and but even then Tennessee you know we know they've looked at some receivers in the transfer portal there's more guys out there they could add uh, so more than anything this again is kind of just a depth piece that Tennessee loses but also a, a very capable player it's not like he was solely a, a depth piece he he did some nice things. He's a young player. He seems promising and certainly I think would have been a, a really capable and a strong backup for Tennessee if he had returned. 
Yeah, and he was a guy that, you know, it seemed like Joe Milton liked to throw to, too, especially when he got yep. down to the red zone. Just guy, physical guy who had pretty good hands, but he is entering the transfer portal for Tennessee. And, you know, not huge significant portal news for Tennessee so far this offseason. We, like I said, those three receivers, you look at the running back rooms, a couple of hits taken there with Justin Williams, Thomas, Laneith Whitehead leaving tight end Miles Campbell. And then on the offensive line, William Parker and RJ Perry, of course, Savion Herring, who was dismissed from the program, but he is also in the transfer portal, even though he wasn't with Tennessee to begin with. So not any significant news. Maybe there's more to come. Stay tuned to rocketupinsider.com if there is any. And the only other name that I didn't mention was on defense, defensive lineman Jordan Phillips. So not much going on with the Tennessee transfer portal as far as players leaving, but be sure to stay tuned with RTI as we'll keep you up to date on that. All right, Ryan, this was your idea. I loved it. So let's get to it. We're going to have a little fun here and talk about the top three plays from Tennessee, not the top three plays that are the best plays or the most significant plays, the top three plays no one's talking about, Ryan, the top three plays that have flown under the radar that were very significant for Tennessee in those games. So I'm going to start it with you. What are your top three plays for Tennessee that have flown under the radar? Okay, so I have two defense plays in here, and the first one may be just be my bias of it personally being one of my very favorite plays of the season. And because it, it wasn't a close game, it's from the Kentucky game and it's the interception in, in the red zone. Danico slaughter blows up the slant route. Juwan Mitchell catches it, hurdles a defender, returns it about 50 yards. And Tennessee obviously goes on to win that game 44 to six at a time, much closer game. Tennessee's up 20 to six kind of midway through the second quarter. Kentucky, like I said, in the red zone, the game still felt in doubt at that moment. But when that play happened, you kind of felt like, Game was over. Okay, maybe not over, but it over is probably a little dramatic. But you're right, Tennessee is, you. is going to handle this one. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, it, my... No, I was just going to say that was a special play too because it it just really showed like, man, this game. You know, like you saying, Tennessee's going to dominate Kentucky today. You could have just you felt it right after that play, and of course the hit. That's arguably the best hit we saw a t- Tennessee defender make all season long. You could hear it in the press box, all the way up in the press box. So that's a good number three, Ryan. Yeah, and it was such like, and again, I think people kind of forget about that game, but for Kentucky to come in in the top 25 and all off season, it was Kentucky was talking about how they were going to challenge Georgia for the SEC East, 8 p.m. game, black uniforms, you have big time, Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreit on the call, electric environment, and that was just a, a massive play. And I guess you said the big hit, I think more than anything, kind of right. brought the crowd alive and was one of the more electric moments of the season at Neyland. And then my number two, um, probably a more important play, and to me completely goes under the radar in season, back in the Pittsburgh game, uh, Traylon Flowers' interception in the end zone it, it, right at the end of the first quarter. It's 10-0 pit. Uh, Panthers are back in the red zone. Really felt like they could have stepped on Tennessee's throat if they got a touchdown. This was, I believe, a third and 10 play, and Flowers kind of toe-tapped it in the back of the interception. So worse, it would have just been a field goal. But really completely flipped the momentum, and Tennessee kind of went on a run after that and, and took control of the game going into halftime. Yeah, no, I that was on that was in my on my list as well. The Trayvon Flowers interception. Yeah, if, t- if Pittsburgh scores there, man, you don't know if Tennessee wins that game, right? So getting that yeah. interception was crucial in that moment to prevent going down three scores potentially. So yeah, that's one of the best plays of the season that no one's talking about because Tennessee starts the season one and one. You know, I don't know if the Vols have the trajectory of ending up number one in the college in the initial college football playoff rankings or even making a New Year's Six bowl. So that play really flipped the script on that game and it may have you know ultimately flipped the script on Tennessee season because if they lose that game 
it could have gone way differently. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the whole season changes if Tennessee loses that game. And, and in my final play, it's really two plays. Uh, but the back-to-back plays on uh, Tennessee's two-minute drive against Florida right before half backed up at their own the 12-yard line, third and 10. Uh, Hooker kind of evades pressure, rolling to the left, hits Princeton fan for a 10-yard gain. That's the play nobody ever remembers. And the next play was, was even bigger when Hooker hit remote game. So really tough play by Hooker and one of the, to me, the best throws and best kind of uh, overall plays he had all season. All right, so my three, you know, the Trayvon Flowers pick I had in my list, I'm going to stick to it. I just think that is one of the best plays Tennessee or that people aren't talking about. So I'll put that at three, though. I'm, I'll spotlight the other two. And you may think that, you know, these plays are plays that some people have talked about, but I really don't think they've been talked about enough, especially my number one. But my number two is the fourth and two stop just here recently in the Orange Bowl when Clemson was driving down 14 to six. You know, Will Shipley, yep. one of the best running backs in college football. They're at the Tennessee 31. It's early or it's late in the third quarter. And, you know, Tennessee stops them on that fourth and two. That really showed the intensity Tennessee was bringing on their front seven and, you know, just how they were dominating the line of scrimmage down the stretch as Clemson shifted more toward the run game in the second half. So that, to me, that was when I knew Tennessee was going to win the game. If Clemson scores when it's 14 to six on that drive, I'm like, okay, Tigers have, you know, finally put together a drive where they can get into the end zone. They may have tied it with a two-point conversion. If it was 14-14 after that, I would have put all the money in the world on Clemson, just with the way they had, would have finished out the third quarter. But Tennessee stopping them on that fourth and two, I knew right then and there that the Vols were probably going to win the Orange Bowl. So that's a play that not a lot of people are talking about for sure that I think was a huge moment in that game and just really showed that Tennessee defense had come to play. That in the play that Milton hit Keaton on, to me, were the two biggest plays of that game. And I haven't hardly seen anyone mention the fourth down stop. And at that point yeah. in the game, I felt like Clemson had a lot of momentum, and they were running the ball really well. And it seemed like they could get two or three play yards every play running Shipley. It was a really good – really, three Tennessee guys got in on that tackle. That was a huge stop and, and completely flipped the momentum. Yeah, and, uh, you know, a play that a lot of people have talked about. If you if you ask anybody, Ryan, it's, they're going to say the best play of Tennessee's Tennessee football season was the kick, the Chase McGrath kick to beat Alabama. Of course, right? Letting out all that frustration against Alabama, winning the game in that fashion. After Alabama had missed the kick, the 40-yard field goal, just barely making it over the crossbar, I don't have to remind anybody. But the play that set that up, no one talks about. And maybe some people talk about it, but they definitely don't talk about it enough. Because the play to get into field goal range, the Brew McCoy catch, when he's got the defender coming this way and he's got a defender trailing him and he catches it in between both of them, goes up and gets it. By the way, the throw from Hinn and Hooker too to put it in the perfect spot for a guy like Brew to catch it. That play to me was the play of the game. It's the play of the season. I don't care. I, I will put it above the kick because the kick wasn't even that good. It did. They did go in and that's ultimately what won the game. But I will put it above the kick because that gave them a fighting shot to win the game and not send it into overtime. But just as far as a football play, and just a really good play. To me, the Hendon to Brew to set up the field goal is the best play of the season. I think that's accurate. I, I would agree with that. And it felt, you know, Brew McCoy, and he did have good stats. It wasn't like they were great stats. But it just felt like he made so many – there were a lot of games this year, I should say, where he didn't have a ton of catches. But the catches he made were really, really big. And that, that was probably the best example. I think that was only his second catch in the game. But that was the type of play that Brew McCoy is so good at, just 
pure physicality and boxing out a defender and going out and making a really contested catch really around two guys. And and you're right. That was the play that won the game. Yep. A lot of plays from Tennessee season. People will look back to and remember, of course, the Romel Keaton catch against Florida laying out like that. Squirrel White had a couple of plays, um, you know, Joe Milton's long balls, but, and of course, anything Hendon Hooker did <laughs> really you can point to multiple <laughs> things. Uh, the Bird McCoy touchdown and the Jalen Hyde touchdown against LSU. I almost put in my list just because, because of the dimes they were. And the Brew McCoy touchdown sending Pat Narduzzi into a fit. I loved that <laughs> moment of the game when <laughs> he said he had stepped out of bounds. A lot, a lot of stuff to talk about there. A lot of things to remember from this 11-2 and season. And, you know, those six plays definitely flew under the radar. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Stick around as after the break, we're going to talk Tennessee basketball. They turned in a huge performance last night in their win against Mississippi State, improving to 2-0 in conference play and 12-2 on the season, 87-43. We'll get into it as multiple balls performed at a high level against the Bulldogs there in TBA. Stick around with us here on the Rocket Top Insider Press Pass. We'll be right back. And now, back to the show. All right, everybody. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. In segment two, Ryan and I will be talking about Tennessee's basketball's win over Mississippi State. On Tuesday night in Thompson Bowling Arena, the Vols get it done with an 87-53 to win. I did misspeak earlier. It's 87-53 to win over Mississippi State. 34-point dominant win. The Vols got out to a 16-0 lead before you could even blink. Ryan. What a performance from Tennessee. Literally everybody, I think, turned into a pretty good performance. You're right. Really, I mean, really everyone did. And the one thing in the first half, I was kind of looking around, Tobey Walker hadn't played early in the game, and I thought, well, maybe that knee is, or maybe I think it was his ankle, actually, that was still bothering him that kind of made them shortened his minutes against Ole Miss. But then he gets in and scores nine points and grabs six rebounds in 16 minutes. And you're right. Everybody played really, really well, I think. Santiago Vespi, what he did at the start of the game, he hit three threes in that 16 to nothing start. And then that was a big story. And to me, the two other big stories were what Sky Ziegler did was just marvelous at point guard, 11 uh, points, 10 assists, first collegiate double double, just had complete, complete command of the game and was one of the better true point guard performances I've seen in a while from a Tennessee point guard. Uh, the one that, that, that I really think about and go back to is Jordan Bone. Everyone thinks about his Kentucky game at home because he was fantastic in that game, scoring, I think, around 25 points. But the game he had at South Carolina that year of running point guard, what Zakai did last night and what Jordan Bowe did in, in that game are two games where I think of him just brilliant point guard play. And then lastly was obviously uh, Josiah Jordan-James getting back in the lineup. And obviously that's a huge development for Tennessee and will continue to be something that's kind of like James said earlier in the year is game to game and we keep watching. Yeah, and we'll get into that here in a second um, once we fully recap the game. But, I mean, five Vols scoring in double digits. As you mentioned, Zakai Ziegler was fantastic. 11 points, 10 assists. Uh, first career double-double for Zakai, too. I would have I, I would have gotten that wrong, Ryan. I would have said he got a double-double last year. Um, I don't know how he'd have gotten it, though. Maybe I, maybe I wouldn't have said that, actually, if I'd have put my brain on it. But a great performance, nonetheless. And Julian Phillips with a rebound performance as well. He's been struggling as of late, but he turned in an 11.7 rebound performance on 5 of 6 shooting. And really, just from the field in general for the Vols, they were 36-52 to 69%. You know, we've seen Tennessee's offense struggle quite a bit this season, but their defense be elite. Their defense was elite yet again, but then their offense was able to score a lot. You know, Olivier Kama, all these guys, Tyreek Key, even opening up the game 
Well, well, it wasn't the very first bucket Tennessee had. Oroch had the layup, but you know, right afterward, Tyreek sinking that three after Rick Barnes had said he wanted to see him shoot more. So this Tennessee offense, dare I say, you know, best performance of the season. I don't, I don't think that's a stretch at all. No, not at all. And everything was clicking. I think that's the best way to say it. And like Rick Barnes always says, it, it looks easy when shots are going in, and shots were going in for Tennessee uh, last night. And particularly, I think. It's obviously really easy to highlight the three-point percentage. They shot 57%. They were even better than that in the first half. I think they made eight threes in the first half. But they were really, really good on two-pointers, too. And that was getting Mm -hmm. scoring from the interior against, I say that to say, a Mississippi State defense that's top ten in the country in uh, two-point shooting percentage against. So uh, they were continued to get more and more offensive production from their front court, which it's not to the point of, saying, okay, I think this is something that's consistent and get every game, but it's better. It's slowly working in that direction, and it looks like something that might actually be able to be that. The Tennessee can rely on for some consistent points. So they were good and certainly a uh, really fantastic, like you said, you said it best, best offense outing of the year to go along with what was just another ho-hum dominant defense performance. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the front court. Olivier and Uroch combined for 10 of 10 shooting for 20 points. So yeah. you know, getting 20 points out of the two of them, uh, that's that's pretty nice to have. I mean, I know Olivier is can have great games, but to to get them both clicking like that, and um and Jonas had the slam late as well. Tobey Awaka, by the way, you mentioned him. He was awesome in like the last five minutes when the game was totally out of hand. He was getting minutes. I was like, man, Tobey is schooling these guys. Like, I, I I'm a fan. I I think Tennessee's front court depth will get. You know, I, I think they have depth, I should say, and I think they'll get better as the season progresses. They're going to have to if Tennessee's going to make a deep March Madness push. But, uh, you know, I'm optimistic, Ryan, and I feel like a lot of people aren't, but I am optimistic of, of the balance they have. As long as Urosh can, you know, come in and deliver solid outings like this, I, I think they'll be fine. I think you're right, and to me it's twofold because you mentioned the depth, and I, how can you not be excited about the young guys? Uh, sophomore Jonas do and the freshman Tobey Awaka, they provide depth. You, you think they're just going to get better and better. That's all they've done to this season, the point. And, and I think you – well, go ahead the next season a little bit when you lose uh, Olivier Kamwa and could lose Euros Plasic as well. And you say, okay, you feel a lot better where the front court's at uh, on top of the depth from this year. And then to me, Okamwa, he only, he's, or I say only scored 10 points. That's a good number. He scored all of them in the first half last night. Yeah, he, he only played 18 minutes. Right. <laughs> yeah. And Tennessee got up 16 nothing, And I think he even got maybe to 20 pretty early in the first half. Mississippi State made a little run. They got it to 11, 12 points. Their zone was giving Tennessee a little bit of issues. Olivier scored back to back baskets. And kind of settled Tennessee's offense again. And again, t- Tennessee wasn't going to lose that game. But that's the one point where you felt like Mississippi State had any momentum. It was Olivier Campbell who answered offensively. And for a guy that seems a lot of time in his career, it's going well for him offensively when it's going well for the team. And when it's not going well for the team, it's not going well for him. To me, that's a huge that's a huge development if that's something he can do consistently. And he's done it. You know, he did it in the Ole Miss game when the offense wasn't playing very good. So uh, that's become a, a positive development as of late is he – Seems to be getting his footing under him, and to me, is playing the best basketball he's played in his Tennessee career. Yeah, yeah, Olivia come on, a big piece of Tennessee basketball and a, and a good piece of Tennessee's first half dominance last night. And talk about Josiah Jordan James is a guy who had gone nearly a month without seeing action in a basketball game. He had suited up for the Ole Miss game, but he didn't actually play. Um, last game he had seen action in was the Eastern Kentucky game. He had logged 16 minutes, wasn't very effective. Um, but last night against Mississippi State, as you said, Three of five shooting, you know, he played pretty well. Um, 
how many eight total points so he and he made he made an impact you know his impact was felt uh, you just see the zakai ziegler alley-oop james slam crowd goes wild tennessee bench goes wild you knew right then and there that you know josiah jordan james was back to make an impact for tennessee basketball in a meaningful way but i feel like the question that i have a lot of people have is that is this a sign that Josiah is back for good? Is this a sign that Josiah is going to be able to do this on a game in game out basis as SEC play progresses? Or do you think Ryan that, you know, this is just a, a step in the right direction for Josiah, but that there's still a lot of progress to be made. That's a great question. It's a question that I have, that I do not know the answer to. Um, I had been under, I, I, the way I was looking at it was that, He's not going to be able to play for extended games in a row. He's not just going to come back and he's going to be back. That was how I viewed it because that's, I mean, it's been an injury that's been plaguing him since the off season, the preseason. And when he's, he hasn't played more than three games at a time. And even then sometimes he can't do full stuff on it at practice. But he talked about after the game last night gives a lot of reason for at least optimism. He said, They've been started taking new medicine three or four days ago. He said, I haven't felt any pain. That was it. I haven't felt any pain since I started taking new medicine. Uh, a different approach to try to start building up muscles uh, around it. He really emphasized the glutes and the hamstrings to try, try to uh, take stress off of that knee. So there's reason for optimism. And there's reason to think maybe this is something that he can play for more extended amounts and more minutes a game and can isn't going to be severely hampered by it. But I think only time's going to tell. Uh, three or four days isn't everything. Can he? Can it be three or four weeks in a row and he's practicing on it and he's not feeling severe pain? So it's a question, and it's only a question that's going to be answered in time. But I, I think there's certainly more optimism uh, with James and around the team uh, about that question uh, than there has been really for the entire season. Yeah, uh, the new medicine thing, you know, it's got to be music to Tennessee fans' ears. It's like, okay, there's a change in the process, right? And a change is always good, and then if you see something positive happen after the change, you're like, okay, we it is definitely progressing in the right direction. And I think the 17 minutes last night making an impact, like I said, you definitely think it is. I think it's – I definitely feel like Josiah Jordan-James wanted to be there for the SEC home opener. I feel like that would mean a lot to him. You know, he, he's such a – huge proponent of Tennessee sports, Tennessee athletics, and he loves Vol Nation to death. You know, him coming out there last night definitely was fitting for the for who he is, and I feel like that was a big motivator for him being able to come back last night. Of course, as you said, we will see what happens with Josiah Jordan-James moving forward. There's been a change in his process, and you know, maybe it'll be one that can allow Joe to get more significant minutes moving forward. A big picture talk a little with Tennessee. Last night, we saw them fully healthy, pretty much, like I said, with Josiah being back. And everybody played well. Even down to Erosh Plavsic, Tobey Awaka, Jonas Adu had a couple of moments. So when you look at this performance from Tennessee, where everyone played well and they dominate Mississippi State, a team, by the way, was 11-2 and and that had been ranked a week prior, 21st in the AP Top 25 poll. Does this performance tell you, Ryan, that Tennessee has the potential, has the upside to you know, be a national championship contender to make a deep March Madness run, assuming everything falls into place. One last note uh, on Josiah before I get to that. Oh yeah, go um, ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. It's to me almost as positive as what last night on the court was how much he did in practice on Monday when we watched. Even okay, earlier in the season when he was playing, it, he 
didn't seem like he was ever going through 100% of practice with the team and was a full, full participant. That's really what it was like on Monday. And he wasn't wearing a sleeve. He wasn't wearing any sort of brace on the knee. Again, that adds a little more positivity. And it is even a new development than from earlier in the season when he played. Um, but getting but getting to your question, I, yeah, absolutely. It shows just how high Tennessee's ceiling is when they make shots, which I think we all knew because when you play defense like that and – and I think there is optimism that they can make shots because that's what they did last year. I mean, Rick and I have talked about it uh, on this podcast that at even this time in the year last year, the offense was terrible and it didn't look <laughs> yeah. good and they didn't make, they weren't making shots and they figured it out around February. They started making shots. So I think we all knew that they had another gear they can get to. And certainly when you hit that gear and they have a lot of different guys that can make shots and they have good guard play, which always guard play, guard play and defense. That's what wins games in March. So uh, I think that, continues to give more optimism about the ceiling. To me, the question is when you're not shooting 69% from the field and 57% from the three, how many games can you shoot 50% from the field and 38% from three? You know what I mean? And not just right. having the, the massive gaps, uh, I guess, in, in the numbers. Can you be more consistently pretty good than phenomenal? Right. It's either, yeah, we've seen phenomenal or not very good, right? And of course, Tennessee may not have this excellent of a performance again this season, you know? So yeah. it's going to, you can't expect this every time out. That is for sure. But, uh, you know, for Tennessee's sake, for Tennessee fans, as you said, hopefully they can, you know, bring it more back to an even kill type of performance to where they can be more consistent. That is the hope for Tennessee. And moving on with Tennessee basketball, they will travel to South Carolina this Saturday in Columbia to take on the Gamecocks. They'll be back in TBA, though, on Tuesday night against Vandy before the big game next Saturday, January 14th, against Kentucky. So looking at this upcoming SEC schedule, Ryan, for Tennessee, what can we expect? What's your feelings towards Tennessee basketball as we move into the month of January? It's an easier start to conference play, that's for sure. And uh, I see the Ole Miss, that's a road trip that's very capable of being a loss, but not one of the better teams in the league. Mississippi State, a middle-tier team at home. And now they play the two worst teams in the conference, I think, at South Carolina and then at Vanderbilt at home. That's when it'll get interesting. I expect Tennessee will take care of uh, take care of business these next two times out, and then that's when it gets interesting. Uh, the home game against Kentucky, then a road trip week to Mississippi State and LSU. That's a three-game stretch that are all kind of maybe not toss-ups, but could all go either way uh, when you go looking into it. So Tennessee, I think, will take care of business the next two games. They should be 4-0 in SEC play, and then you start kind of getting into the meat of the schedule, and seeing if you can stack good wins together and start kind of building your uh, SEC championship chances. Right. Uh, will you be going to Columbia this weekend? I will be in Columbia. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's a nice, easy trip over there, uh, over the mountains, four hours, nice uh, arena colonial life. Uh, but the disappointment is once again, that my Titans are, are playing a meaningful football game on Saturday that I will not be able to watch all of because of, so I'll, I'll oh, at least man. get to listen this is Mike Keith uh, uh, dialed up on the drive back. Well, you gotta, yeah, yeah. Unless you stay in Columbia, I don't, I don't think, I don't see how you'd watch it because two thirty tip, you probably get done with work what around around kickoff, I would assume, um, and then you'd have to come back because kickoffs eight fifteen Eastern. Uh, Jags Titans, who's your pick by the way? I don't know if I'll talk to you before then. Well, who's your pick? Who's yeah, in the AFC South. You know what? I'll go. With, I'll go with Titans. I'll go with really the Josh heart. Dobbs getting it done. Josh Dobbs getting it done. I think the Titans are going to be healthy on defense. I mean, this is probably a dumb pick, but 
I don't believe Jaguars to the point that I think most people believe in the Jaguars. They're good, but this just feels like a, a classic Mike Brable win. Titans get healthy. Josh Dobbs can complete a forward pass. That's better than Malik Willis. Maybe enough. Maybe enough. We'll see. It's I don't even know. What, what is the spread? I imagine the Jags are favored by four or five points. Yeah, I think it was four and a half last time I looked. Okay, so, yeah. yeah. So, uh, in my brain, I know that the Jags will probably win, but it's it's close enough that I have, I've convinced myself in my heart that the, the Titans will get it done. Well, they, they got coaching on their side, that's for sure. Mike Vrabel wins big games. We'll see if they can do it again. Josh Dobbs, second career start, by the way, both coming in primetime during a playoff push. I don't know when the last time that's happened. That's a lot of pressure <laughs> yeah. for quarterback getting his first two career starts. But, hey, he did well against the Cowboys. Maybe he can win the division on Saturday night on primetime. All right, Ryan, that'll do it for this edition of the Racketop Insider Press Pass. Be sure and hit up RTI on all social media, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Rocky Top Insider, and you can – Read all our stuff on RocketTopInsider.com. Ryan on Twitter is at rshump00. I am at Jack Foster Media. And our normal host, Rick Butler, who you can wish him well, is uh, at Rick Butler on Twitter as well. So be sure and hit us up there. We will have content coming at you all throughout basketball season and baseball season. Uh, what is it, 44 days away or something like that? It's it's not too far. They'll be in Arizona. No, it's not. It. Yeah. No, once, once you hit January, it's baseball season's knocking on the door, so. Right. It'll be here fast approaching, and uh, as we as the calendar turns to February, we'll we'll have tons of coverage getting everybody ready. Absolutely. It, it'll be a lot of fun with basketball and baseball. All right, everybody. As I said, hope you had a happy new year, too. Uh, now that we are in 2023, I can't believe it, but we're going to have some fun. That'll do it for this edition of the Rocket Top Insider Press Pass. Thanks for listening, you guys, and we'll see you next time.